0: To Pink Milk where we talk Star Wars queerly. Uh, today you'll just be getting me so I hope that's good enough for you. Um, <laughs> this is a pre-record. Um, it's part of our special series as part of Pride Month where we're talking to queer identified people about their thoughts on Star Wars which I think is pretty interesting and I hope you'll find it interesting too. So let's get started. Today, we have the enormous pleasure of talking with Leo, and here they are with their beautiful face. <laughs> Thank you, um. <laughs> so, Leo, do you want to just give us a quick intro about, like, who you are and what you do and what you're about?
1: Okay. Uh, hi, I'm Leo. Uh, I'm... Uh, gender-fluid, bisexual, South American nerd, and <laughs> besides that, I have been a Star Wars fan since I was six or seven years old, like yeah, and I was at my grandma's, and The Phantom Menace Started playing on the open TV, <laughs> and when I saw uh baby Natalie Portman being just the amazing Padme Midala, I was like, I like this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> this stuff since school, so I made my parents rent the VHS for the rest of the movies, and here it was. (laughs) Me! That is so Uh,
0: great! Yeah.
1: Besides that, I'm an anthropologist specializing in gender and sexuality.
0: Wow, great, perfect. We found the perfect person to talk to today. (laughs) So, okay, so you've talked a little bit about your intro to Star Wars. Yeah. And... Like, what has your journey been like up to now in the Star Wars fandom? What did that look like?
1: So, um, I was with my brother when I first watched The Phantom Menace, and he's one of my best friends, and Star Wars has always been our thing. And uh, we watched the reruns every time it was on TV together, and, but it was most of, I don't know, a casual and private thing, private thing between me and my brother, until um, the Force Awakens uh, premiered in the theaters, and I was like, "What a girl Jedi!" You know, I I had watched the Clone, the Rebel series, and all when I was younger on on TV also, but it's different, you know, on the like, big screen, and Ray, and and then I, I went with him. Uh, we watched all of the movies together, and uh, The Rise of Skywalker ruined my birthday, by the way, because it premiered on my birthday, and I went to the premiere, and I was... <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Oh, God, why? Uh, so, the journey was casual, and then... <laughs> Deeply obsessed uh, with the sequels, and um, then my my friends, my IRLs were the people who convinced me to get into Star Wars fandom more. Properly because I was a nerd in other areas of my life, and they were like, "No, we need to read this fanfic uh, with <laughs> <laughs> Raylo, and it's super hot." And I was, I don't know if I shit this too. I don't know if I care, you know. I, I only care. I was a simple um, back then only. The only thing that I really cared about was just make the cutie ex oh, pilot kiss the cutie ex trooper. and I'm glad that's okay. I don't want anything else. And then I remember um, this friend of mine, she sent me one something from Ali and I was like, Oh this is good
0: <laughs> and, and you when I which one it was was and it was it was Ever So Ali.
1: Yeah, Versalali. Yeah, so yes,
0: yeah. Yes. Do you remember which one it was? Was it the one that she pulled to get published, or
1: no? It was your pretty little heart. Oh, okay. It was A-B-O-A. I got in like really, <laughs> not like a burst. <laughs> <girl.
0: laughs> You went straight for the hard stuff right away, that's too hard.
1: I was already into the hard stuff, but like in the Hannibal fandom and other okay. fandoms, so I wasn't a newbie to the concept of Omegaverse, I'm right. like super casual with this, but I was like, okay, these people are hot, I can see it, but I wanted that bad too, like. and then this friend of mine said, no, I know what you need. You need linear A. And then she sends me correlate. And I was like, Uh, okay, these are my people. I like these people. I want more of these people. And I want to be one of them. So, um, yeah, uh, that's it. That's my journey with <laughs> Star Wars.
0: So a long detour into fan fiction.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I wrote fan fiction before for other fandoms and other pairings, but then yeah, Super Halo and <laughs> and that's it. Star Wars. I I don't want it anymore. Only like. Nostalgia from my childhood and with my brother, but um, why say somewhere where people like hate you, you know? But Raylo is still my my beloved.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, if we can talk some more about that a bit later on in our conversation. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, what is your favorite Star Wars? Like and, and you can pick anything. You can pick a movie, you can pick a TV show, you can pick a comic, anything you want. What's your favorite Star Wars?
1: Mm, I think it's The Last Jedi. <laughs> um... I'm a simple person, you know yeah. with simple <laughs> taste I, I don't I, demand much <laughs> but uh, the one that I have the, the biggest emotional connection to this day is still The Phantom Menace
0: yeah, I think a lot of us have that experience too like where we have the Star Wars movie that is sort of important to us for nostalgia reasons and then there's a yeah. the movie that's important to us for like story yeah. reasons yeah, yeah <laughs> It's not always the same. Sometimes it is the same, but yeah. it's not always the same. So, no. no yeah, in we in have, my case, we, it yeah. we hear that a lot on this show. Whenever we ask that question, we all know
1: <laughs> That's always the answer.
0: Um, and who's your favorite character?
1: Mm, oh, my God. Why choose between my babies? Uh, <laughs> I know <we> have, right. <laughs> I think it's Leah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. because... That's- uh, Carrie gave so much to her, and uh, she was so amazing. And it was like from a feminist standpoint, she was a a, a breaking point, a tilting point in the in the pop culture narratives. She uh, breaks from the damsel zone distress purely, although. We won't talk about Jabba the Hutt now. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But she killed him herself. He did. It's like a breaking point from the damsel in the stress I always like
0: to say that she. Broke her oppression with the instrument of her oppression. Yes! She was, like,
1: the (laughs) baddest, baddest motherfucker ever. Well,
0: yeah, Uh, she was like, do not put a chain around my neck or I will use it to strangle you.
1: (laughs) Yeah, basically. And, like, we have no choice but to stand. But I, I think it's Leah and then probably Rose Tico. She's my second favorite. Yeah, my. I love
0: her too. She's my favorite non-force-using character.
1: Yeah, yeah. Shmi.
0: Maybe I mean I. I love me some Shmi, but yeah. Oh, Shmi uh, was nice. Poor Shmi. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, and actually, that fits really well with the next question I was going to ask you, which is like, what watching Star Wars throughout your life, what sort of feminist themes did you pick up in the films that spoke to you? ah
1: uh, yeah it's i believe that um the the whole the construction of the princess trope but still allowing the fantasy and the fairy tale to exist and adme is really important in that sense to me because uh she, She's, I mean, except from her ending, which, God, why? Uh, but her, her whole journey is how women can be powerful and feminist and badass warriors and freedom fighters and very feminine and like liking fashion and liking you know pretty dresses and you don't have to um diminish uh the the feminine to be a symbol of feminism you know
0: yes that's so, I find that so true. And, like, she was so skilled and so knowledgeable. Yeah. Like even even just sort of the cultural artifact of Nebu, like, electing young women to be queens. Yeah. And, like, like, accepting, like, a young woman in a position of leadership. Like, that is such a, a strange uh-huh. cultural idea to us. Yeah. You know? uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. And so I found that a really interesting choice in the story. It's like, oh, there's this planet where they purposefully put teenage girls in charge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like it feels like very revolutionary.
1: Yeah, and they are strong believers in democracy and That too. Uh, yeah.
0: I know, right? And like the values of yeah, like some of some of the other cult like Alderon and yeah, other Yeah. Other cultures that have that place such an emphasis on like the importance of art and you know and democracy like believing in democracy, believing in diplomacy, believing in the importance of like cooperation yes. and yes. That consensus. Yeah, it's so true. Like I, I love how strongly those values are represented in the Star Wars universe. Yeah. Through the character and design and that kind of stuff. Um so what kinds of portrayals as like I think this is it's so great that we're talk- like that I get to talk to you who has been a Star Wars fan since you were so young. <laughs> so like as you developed your own like sexual identity, was there were there any portrayals of like sexuality and desire in Star Wars that you identified with or were there things that like raised questions for you to think about in that respect?
1: I don't know, I I was always a strong believer in queerifying canon Um, so uh, like I don't care what uh, the owners of the franchise say, I believe that it, I don't know, to me the, the representation of Uh, space and intergalactic societies that make more sense is through the Mass Effect universe where, Mm -hmm. like, it makes no sense that all societies and, like, they're in space and everyone is cis and straight and what the fuck? So, um, I believe in querifying Star Wars but in the Canon itself, no, not that much, but in the fandoms, in the collective creations, like of Luke being a little twink, and Leia being like bisexual, a bisexual icon, and all this stuff, you know, it's, it's, it's cool and it's important, but I know those are collective head canons because unfortunately, this is a blind spot in Star Wars, and we need to say that. Yes, yes, we do.
0: Yes, absolutely, that needs to be said. Um, are you familiar with the YouTube channel that Gay Jedi? Mm, that's one of I one know. of our friends. That's our our friend Chase. And yeah, um, yeah, Chase actually does sort of like top ten queerest moments in, and they've been doing a series, like, and they go like film by film. Um, and they've also done videos on like sort of the queerness of C three PO, and like sort of queer coding, you know, characters in Star Wars. Yeah. You know, even in canon properties, and I, I found, it, I found, those videos very enlightening and like really interesting. So highly recommended both to you and to anyone who's <laughs> watching this right now. Go check out Decade Jedi on YouTube. <laughs> I'll check out. Don't it out. Um, yeah, yeah. It's very insightful, very queer, like very positive. I just, I love it. That content is just excellent content. Um, so yeah, so like that was another one of my questions. Is like, do you see, <laughs> do you see queerness in Star Wars? Like, where do you do you find any, or is it just in your head canons? You think?
1: I don't know. I believe that uh, when. There's this whole discussion that uh, <laughs> I'm taking this opportunity to promote the Hidden Gems podcast. We will have a special for Pride Month as well. Oh, and there will be a whole discussion of what makes a story queer or not queer. And I think that this is a, a, a good framing of reflecting like, uh, what is queer. And, um, I, you could say, like, um, Finn and Poe's chemistry and their dynamic was so powerfully queer that it scared a whole corporation into trying to make sure that the audiences got that they were straight and they were matches and this wasn't going to happen right and um Anakin and Obi-Wan their last battle and Obi-Wan's speech to Anakin is very betrayed lover uh although this wasn't thinking yeah yeah and
0: you you had some input on that eh apparently it was a bit less it was a bit more like I'm writing you off and a bit yeah. less like sort of yearning. And he was yeah. allowed to, he was allowed to sort of singularly make some changes to make it a bit more like to show that there was still
1: some affection. To there. which we are very grateful because <laughs> <laughs> it's an amazing scene and an amazing yeah. speech. Okay. And I I believe that the, the whole concept that was, Kind of shoehorned in the rise of Star Wars, oh, the rise of Skywalker, uh, of Ben and Ray being a dyad in the Force. Um, There's no way that this is completely cis and straight because uh, if they are two whole two halves of the same whole and their souls are mingled and fused, this is queer as fuck. You know.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> this is
1: not straight. Yeah. No. They're not different things that complement each other. They're like mingling and, and merging and this is this yeah. they're both non-binary to my account.
0: Well and, and as individual characters too, like they have been given queer subtext.
1: Oh yeah, I was <laughs> that is like the, the embodiment of bisexual disaster. And that relates a lot. Yes.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and Ray is like very gender non conforming. Yeah. And, she's, and she is very like coded
0: like an omnivore. Like she's omnivorous. Yeah. Like,
1: yeah in yeah. many,
0: many ways. And so it just makes sense to me that like she would be sexually omnivorous. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's just, it just makes sense, you know? Like, yeah. And Ray's
1: too much of a feral gremlin to really yeah. care about people's gender identities and yeah, stuff like exactly. yeah they <laughs> are hot i really don't care <laughs> yeah that's always been my way of
0: thinking too yeah and like in this, in this yeah you're right like ben is such a bisexual disaster like bisexual Sure.
1: His whole <laughs> past really yeah. with time being like, oh, yeah. my best friend who I like adore more than anything in the world. <laughs> And I can feel you from miles away, and yeah. I'm pining strongly for you. And, but no homo, this is like. <laughs> <laughs> like Who has never, you know? I feel like Ben would
0: rather die than say no homo. Like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ben is like the no no homo.
1: <laughs> All homo. <laughs> it's, it's
0: like- So one of the things that it's come up as we've talked about Star Wars on the podcast, like with various people, we've talked about like how important is representation? And, you know, because especially Brian, like he's been very open about when he first started his journey of Star Wars fandom as a little child. You know, he always knew that he was a gay man, and um, for a long time, he just kind of accepted that he wasn't really going to see representation in Star Wars, despite the fact that it was so important to him. So, and but you know, the more that we've talked about it, and especially with the mand- roundtable discussions that we did about The Mandalorian, which is like which I find to be like an incredibly queer show, <laughs> like very queer coded kind of show. <laughs> um you know like he started to understand like how representation can enrich the experience of being queer and uh, can create like sort of a mutual um exchange between you know like the property and the person who is who is engaging with it so i mean you know, is it to you for you? Is it important to see yourself represented in the media that you consume? Do you think that, like, what kinds of benefits do you think more queer queer representation would bring um, to the fandom in Star Wars?
1: See, um, I I think that this is a very complex question actually because um, there is representation. And um, there's like shut up scraps, and uh, I don't know if I want that uh, a multi-billion-dollar conglomerate that shut up uh, the Nimona project and does a lot of things to. Uh, cut the wings of, um, black, indigenous, and other people of color creators, uh, and it's very imperialistic to have a queer representation. I really don't know, you know, because to a, 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 an extent to me, um, I worry what kind of representation we would really get because uh, like Poe, he was the first I mean Latino in, in space and he was turned into a drug dealer <laughs> and so later we got the Mandalorian and we got Rogue One but they did Poe dirty to that extent so to me it's it's very conflictuous you know because I, I do love seeing creations by queer people for queer people and anyone else who wants to watch too, you know? Uh, I love like Shira and the Princess of Power and I love um, Pose from Fox uh, which is like, but it was created by queer people for queer people and I don't want uh, queer narratives to simply be integrated into a very heteronormative franchise. And I want space to be queerified. I want Mass Effect. <laughs> so I don't know. It's it's like, mm, and there's there's this just uh, this, yeah. Uh, Clarice Lispector que diz liberdade é pouco que eu quero em Open There's a Brazilian author I I was checking with my mom because I (laughs) forgot (laughs) (laughs) who said that. But I I believe that is Clarice Lispector I might be misquoting her but um, she said in the 1970s that um Freedom to me is too little what, yeah, what I want still has no name So representation to me is too little What I want still has no name I, I want mm-hmm. queer media Like real, really queer And really queer means liberation For um, black BIPOCs <laughs> means um, non-imperialistic products means a lot more of things because otherwise we get like that Sonuow movie in which uh, a cisgender white guy is the is the hero of Sonuow and people say see this is a representation so it may be polemic my my position. Uh, But I don't know. I don't really know if I if I want like uh, the Mandalorian to be gay or anything like that. Like in canon, like Mm -hmm. our perversions as fans of the original material, I love. But I don't know if I trust Disney with that.
0: It's true. It's I true, mean, but, there is this sort, this sort of, of tension between, um, you know, like the fact that Disney is a capitalistic enterprise, you know, and it's it's going to be motivated by profit, right? And so. and then
1: there's a dispute. You know, I, I'm thinking because. Um, my area of study from uh, recently is mostly about the, the rise of conservative movements surrounding the gender ideology in Latin America and how this is correlated to the 1980s backlash against feminism that. It started mainly in the U.S. and spread across the world. Mm-hmm. And Disney was like uh, pivotal to this process, especially with The Little Mermaid, which uh, co-opted a lot of uh, feminist uh, slogans and ideals and put it into the mold of the princess that finds this boy and this glittery dresses. It's... It's not like what I was saying like about Padme. It seems a bit contradictory, and it is a bit contradictory because uh, the solution is not saying all femininity and all fairy tales must go, but it's to inquiring who is telling this story and why are they telling this story? Are they telling the story because they want to increase the volume of voices and they want to gather more people around this idea? Or are they de-radicalizing a struggle? Because that's what the Disney uh brand has been making, transforming feminism into girl power in the last four decades. So that's what I, I, I we're in the Pride Month and we see like PayPal and and the Bank of America and Bluetooth film and all of these companies putting rainbows in their logos and it's like what the fuck man? Yeah. <laughs> so it's a bit that's that my concern. Concerned.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: No, that's really no, under- totally under- under- understandable.
0: Understandable. um Yeah, and so is there anything that you want to see? Like, if you could have anything, if you had a little piece of Lucasfilm and you could do anything you wanted, you could create a TV show, you could write a comic book, you could give a character a backstory, what would you do if you had
1: that option? I would do probably uh, a Rose Deco series. Mm. and it would like discuss how a bit of her background uh, because I think that her growing up in a planet a mining planet where people were exploited to death by the empire and then they just changed overlords again and again And how this girl and Paige, how they are radicalized to the rebellion and what happens to them to get there and what happens after the saga. Because Rose is such an amazing character and she was so underused. And it's a possibility of telling more stories that aren't around for sensitive users and uh, that are more around what I see, like the, the... the real beating heart in Star Wars originally, which was rebellion and anti-imperialism and people organizing. (laughs) So (laughs) it would be that. It would be very anti-imperialistic Star Wars. (laughs) And possibly queer. I don't know if it was me doing with a lot of people like that doing maybe attempt in fighting Star Wars
0: maybe. <laughs> yeah I mean I would watch that I love <laughs> Rose I, I love Rose so much she has such wonderful qualities and she's yeah. just like a cinnamon roll and
1: I just love her Yes, but she's like a cinema cinema run who who will stab you if needed. Oh yeah. So no, no, there's like, oh, i yeah. have to
0: bring on that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. 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 She, will, she will not hesitate to cut you. <laughs> no,
1: she's but amazing.
0: She thinks for the best. Yes. And <laughs> and
1: like to my head, Kenon Roseiko is bisexual also. Uh so she has this strong energy of I don't know, I, I'm a big Raylo, but I'm also a big Rey Rose shipper, because I think they would be, like, so happy together, it's like, yeah,
0: I know, did you see the link to the polyfic I posted from the Queerly Beloved collection yesterday, I've been, I've I been, believe I
1: haven't yet, I've been check tweeting, it out. <laughs> I've,
0: been, I've been tweeting, um, Like for Pride Month, I'm going to be tweeting out links to different um, fics from that collection that I think are especially good. And the very first one I tweeted is a Polly Ray Roslo fic.
1: I have one of those that I love writing, the three of them being happy together.
0: Yeah. (laughs) That's so great. I know. That's one, of, that's one of the things I love about transformative fandom is that you can take these characters that you love and you can just like expand on that love and you can emphasize yeah. the things that you yeah. love about those characters and that you appreciate about them. I mean, I, I know that Rose has been mistreated not only by Lucasfilm but also by the fandom as a character. Really hard. Yeah. And that reveals a lot of really ugly things about society as it exists today you know obviously it's like this huge intersection of like sexism and racism and uh, misogyny and yeah um, but yeah I mean I, I feel like creating a property that was centered on her character would be really contentious but it's almost like it would be like medicine for people <laughs> But yeah. appreciate,
1: learn to appreciate her damn it. Yes, it's like you may like it or not, I don't care. It's like it's like, <laughs> <laughs> like what the world needs tell it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And and like the general population, people really like Rose you know. Random casual fans. It's like this very small and loud group of people really loud but very small compared to random people. Like I have tons of IRLs who have like uh, every time I say anything about Star Wars or anything, they say like, "Oh, Adam Driver is so good in it. Ben Solo is like super great," and like the the tiny girl, very with the teaser. This is is real people, random people, you know. At least here in South America, we may have better taste than the global north. I don't know. But (laughs) this (laughs) is how my RL reacts.
0: Undoubtedly, I can absolutely. (laughs) say that <laughs> is so true yeah so so like yeah do you want to talk a little bit about your experiences in fandom and what that's been like for you and how that's influenced you um,
1: I believe that uh, my my experiences in fandom began uh, first when I was I don't know um since I was a child because if you if you could expand the concept of fandom to transformative work when i was like seven or eight me and my friends from school we we like to do fun art of sailor moon characters and we we played like sailor moon and we had this whole head canons of stuff that should happen and then it was a very um, natural transition to me when i was like 11 and my best friend she discovered uh fanfiction.net and she said, look at this thing. And I already wrote uh, from fiction, what I didn't know to call from fiction. But on my notebooks for school, I wrote like Sakura did this and that. And, <laughs> I like, and I gifted it to my friends. And I was known like, go to this person if you have a prompt. It was basically this. And I wrote it to my friends, and many of them still have my note, old notebook pages with the stories there. So, when I, I, I began reading and writing for the internet, um, it was also when I, I was like really into Harry Potter. And I was really a Potterhead, and uh, my first strong, strong ship was Barry. And I read everything about Draco and Harry together, like, 11-year-olds in Mr. Lovers' pen. And and I wrote stories for them, and I wrote stories for um, Sensei characters. And uh, there's this thing, uh, which I was having my sexual awakening at the time, and... It was very confusing for me because um, couples, uh, different gender couples uh, disturbed me a lot because I I wanted to be the girl, to be with the guy, but I wanted to be the guy, to be with the girl, and, and it was too much, so um, I went to slash fanfiction because there were no women and thus my conflicts and now that I understand that I'm not cisgender uh, it has a new layer of oh so (laughs) (laughs) it eliminated my, my issues with desiring female bodies and also it allowed me to project myself as a guy and it was like very a safe space and I had a lot of fandom aunties back then but various tiers, and (laughs) they they teach me the ways and and told me uh, the stories of the Yale days like the the disputes uh, with Anne Rice and it wasn't such ancient history at the time because uh this was 2004 so the whole content with and rice was like in the 90s so it was very fresh memory for fandom culture and well this was brazilian fandom everything was with brazilians and other latin american people but mostly brazilians because i wrote and read in portuguese and then I started to read in English, but not writing in English for a while. I, I stopped writing mm-hmm. and um, because college and all this stuff got in the way. And then for Raylo, I started to write in English and to, to be in a mostly English-speaking community. And it's like... Mm, Hannah Montana, um, but also Hannah Montana from hell, because <laughs> you get the best of both worlds and the worst of both worlds, because, um, It's amazing because I I have friends from the US, from Canada, from Italy, from like Asia, from all these different parts of the world and other parts of Latin America, which I could never have access as uh, only in Portuguese. It's the lingua franca. But at the same time, it's like... um, we are second-rate citizens in fandom. And uh, especially from the the global south, everyone who's not, like, from Europe or North North America. And our stories are less worthy and people care less about the stuff that happens to us. And to me, the, the greatest example is, like, Uh, when the U.S. was having the Black Lives Matter protests last year, and there was this this pressure in fandom to, like, you can't publish fanfic right now because this is a serious moment, and you can't do that because etc., etc. And I was like, cool, whatever, I didn't have anything to publish anyway, so I was just watching. But then, like... Um, the massacre happened in my hometown Rio, where like 30 people were killed by the police in one single morning, and like who talks about that? No one gives a shit, you know you try to bring it up with fandom, and mostly like it's other Brazilians or other Latin Americans, and very few arise from the north but it's mostly our issues aren't that relevant and when you try to write stories that aren't US centered or European centered those stories are less cared for. <laughs> it's true. People yeah. care less. Even if you write in English, people care less. Yeah. And so it's it's I don't know. I, I believe that there's more good than bad, more positive sides than negative sides, hence why I'm still in fandom. But it's something that needs to be said. Um, yes, yes. <laughs> and I'm so, really glad that yeah. said it, it's
0: it because you everyone can, who's watching everyone this watch needs to listen. To listen. It,
1: it, it sucks, you know. Uh, you have great writers and then you, you realize that they aren't from the U.S. or for, from Europe, and, but they, all the stories they're writing are U.S.-centric or European-centric, and you realize that they're doing that because we want to be read. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, like, okay. <laughs> but, I don't know, I hope this changes. <laughs>
0: Uh, yeah, well, me too. I mean, <laughs> I I always say, like, more art is always better. And so it's better to have more people from different backgrounds and different points of view creating art for people to enjoy. But yeah, you're right. Like, I mean, the audience has to has to be willing to go there. They have to, you know, there has to be, like, the hunger and the interest, which, you know, I mean, <laughs> hopefully you know, as we continue to liberate marginalized identities and to break oppression, like, you know, that is going to, that reluctance is going to fall away because people are going to start to comprehend the humanity of, of, you know, identities that they, that they didn't always think about, you know, that their, their privilege insulated them from having to consider, right? Yeah, yeah, I hope hopefully, hopefully, as time goes on, you know, and people like us continue to fight for social justice and to fight for change, you know, people are going to start taking interest in those stories because they're
1: going to understand their value. I hope you're right, Sam. I'm fighting for that too. Yeah, (laughs) Um, it's
0: so important, you know. And I mean like yeah, and I mean we've we've talked before about the importance of even telling like abortion stories. And yeah, you know, like you know, yeah, like addressing societal issues that people don't necessarily want to talk about, but it's it's important to have a spot in fandom where we can talk about those things because we explore lots of other things. Like people are willing to explore all kinds of weird kinks and people are willing to explore gender identity and polyamory and we have stories about jars of spaghetti and vagina <laughs> dentata and, you know, like, yeah. Tentacles. <laughs> yeah. You know, so it's but like... You know, yeah, no, we have like fandom is a really great especially like, you know, transformative fandom is a really great place to explore all those things. And yeah, like people are really missing out if they're not fully using the entire playground. You know? Yeah. You can't just go on the swings, you gotta like go down the slide too. (laughs) Yes.
1: And one thing that that kind of bothers me as as queer and as Latina is that um Our stories are usually considered niche. And the more identities you overlap, the nichier they become. Because, um, and I don't know, telling a story like the same old, tired story of boy meets girl and the march to the altar, and I don't know, they were soulmates all along. And that's why they fall in love. Uh, She's very delicate and feminine and he's very successful and has money and he's big and large. And they have very disappointing sex. Well, disappointing for who? disappointing for the
0: person who's reading it, or disappointing for the people in the story, because usually the people in the story enjoy it a lot.
1: <laughs> well, they they say they enjoy it, right? But sometimes, like I have read uh, fanfics, uh, in which I don't know, there's like. Ray comes one time in sex and it's like the best sex ever and I'm like oh honey why I, I'm so sad for you <laughs> <laughs> so very disappointing sex and uh, but to me especially to me reading is disappointing and people Eat that shit up. It's like 50,000 hits and I don't know how many clicks and... And you have like this beautiful tale, like from Boba Red Shark, uh, Head Shark. Uh, what a shame she went mad. With like yes. oh beautiful and complex and, and so well written, and yeah. I, I can't stop. Like
0: end. oh my gosh, the end just kills me on that.
1: It's amazing, yeah, and it's amazing. like it's a hidden gem, and people don't
0: read that. And it's like, ah! yeah, I know. It's because that other stuff, like I like to think of it, it's like the McDonald's of fan fiction. It's like yep. it's it's engineered to tickle and to satisfy this very yep. like sort of shallow, very easily stimulated part of you. Whereas other types of fiction that are considered niche are they're challenging. Yeah. You know, and they challenge you to, you know, find empathy and they challenge you to think about like gender and sexuality and relationships and, and, you know, fate and choice and, and all of those things, you know, and, and sometimes they're even better, like sometimes even the way it's written, it's, you know, it's challenging in the structure of the yes. story, you know, um, uh yeah, and like 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 um, oh, what's it called? The Stoneheart Witch one, like that fic is it's so mine, that's <laughs> <And> yours. <laughs> I was gonna the say that's so. It's so surreal <laughs> and dreamlike, <laughs> and. It's like it's it is it's like it's challenging to read. Like it reminds me kind of like there's this novelist named Jeanette Turner Hospital, and it reminds me of her stuff because it's like, it is it's like very surreal, but it's so tactile and like you sort of live inside the emotion
1: you know like (laughs) it's not
0: it's not like just sitting like there with a John Grisham novel and just letting it like wash over you like some authors you know you have to like engage with it and you have to use your imagination and it has to become part of your inner life in order for you to fully like comprehend the story you know but yeah like it's like that's work so a lot of people <laughs> they're not gonna want to do that right I, yeah. I totally forgot that was yours <laughs> thank you
1: no i was like oh okay <laughs> not me, like oh let's present something from leo and i like no you're complimenting me with knowing. Oh, <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I tried that one to make it feel like uh, a real fairy tale, like when you're reading something from the Green Brothers or something like that, or uh, mostly Hans Christian Andersen and the characters have so much many layers and inner depth in the story, like, uh, so... It's, it's meant, um, uh, the main inspirations come from, um, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs in special, the, the, the Petrified Forest and, um, uh, comes also from, um, the Iliad, um, without big spoilers, but the, the lotus eating island. Yep. Uh, yep. So th- there is this this threat, and also from my studies of um, medieval uh, misogyny and transformation of the world, mostly Silvia Federici, Caliban, Kaz- the witch, yes. and how uh, I tried that Ray was this this force of almost lost feminine power.
0: Mm-hmm
1: uh where her people was genocide to in existence and that's where where her rage comes from comes from she yeah. she she made the the land barren to so that the colonizers couldn't rip it rip it anymore mm-hmm. she, it it was a place. Of joy and happiness and since her people isn't there anymore to enjoy it she will make sure that no one can enjoy it anymore and so there's just this several layers there and I understand that it's not like something you wake up and say oh I'm bored let's read something (laughs) like that because it's all seen through the, the lenses of Ben who is very emotionally unstable to say the least yeah, and the he, <laughs> he has a bisexual <laughs> and he, he's haunted by by his own demons and so that's that was a bit of the exercise I was trying to, to make there right oh, that's cool. <laughs>
0: But yeah, I mean, like, I always joke, like, I always joke about, because, like, seven of my works are in Hidden Gems, which which is about a third of what I've written for the Uh Yes. And I'm just like, it's such a backhanded compliment, because it's like, oh, your stuff is so good. Nobody reads it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Why
0: does it have to be a hidden jam?
1: Can't it just be a jam? But yeah, we're we are hidden because it's not that easy. I know. <laughs> but uh yeah, but I like that, you know. Uh it's I was uh there's this this Brazilian comedian, uh he's has been dead for a few decades now but his name was Shefrinha mm-hmm. and he, he used to say that uh, I'm not here to make sense of things I'm here to confuse you <laughs> and this is a bit my approach like uh, to my gender identity or to my sexuality and uh, I'm not trying to make life easier for people I'm, I'm trying to, to make them and think you know, and to make yeah. them reflect, and, yeah, some people don't like that. <laughs> well, that can be, it can be
0: a lot of fun, like, I also yes. have the same, like, I have the same streak of mischief, and I like, like, subverting expectations, like, like, when we first started doing the show, one of the things that I joked about was because when we first started broadcasting, I was a lot more like under wraps about being a Raylo and I, and I, I would joke about how like, you know, people would listen to the show or would they listen to me on other people's shows? And I would be talking about like, metaphysics of the force and like making these like deep cut references to like you know kotor characters and you know and and stuff like that and and i kind of was like oh you know like i can't wait i can't wait for like some neckbeard to listen to me and to be like oh my gosh like this girl she like really knows star wars yeah double agent and, 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 and then go to my twitter profile and be like oh she's a Fucking (laughs) You know, like, I love that because, you know, there is that stereotype of realists being bandwagon jumpers, right? Of, like, how we all only became fans six years ago and, you know, like, we don't know anything else and we don't care. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, like, hello. Like, I mean, right here, like, in this conversation, like, we have been Star Wars fans since we were children. For over 20 years. Yeah. Exactly. You know. And, and we play KOTOR, and we, you know, <laughs> we've read Legends books, and, you know, we know, like, you know, who Bastila is, and we are Raylos. so, you know. Yeah.
1: Yes. And, and, and even if you yeah. aren't, <laughs> even if you have become a fan in the last six years, or two oh, yeah. years, or yeah. whatever, you you are still a real fan. It,
0: it, yes, Absolutely.
1: This is insane, you know? (laughs) It's like something... For fuck's sake, there is no medal. Like, there is no... This is not academia. You're not forced to have a PhD in the force to enjoy this shit. And it's not that deep. Let's be honest. Star Wars can be interpreted in in deeper ways. And George Lucas intended it to have deepness. That, that mess, I don't know, uh, but it's not that deep, yeah. it's not, it's for children, it's yeah. it's a fairy tale in yeah. space, it's yeah. like they have magic swords that go wong, with it's that, you know, it's yeah. like, just that, it, it, it can be more than that, but it, it's okay if it's just that too. Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely, you're absolutely right.
1: Um...
0: Yeah, and definitely, yeah, no, it's absolutely true. Like, honestly, at Pink Milk, every Star Wars fan is welcome. It doesn't matter if you've been a fan for 40 years, if you've been a fan for 40 minutes. Like, if you've been a fan for 40 minutes, come to Pink Milk. Come and talk to
1: us. We love you. Welcome. Yeah, you know? And
0: it, like, literally. yeah,
1: at Prince, you, you had the opportunity to be familiarized with all these amazing things for the first time. I I always envy people that don't know the things that I really like because I'm like, what would I give to be able to rewatch the Phantom Menace for the first time again? Like, but for the first time, the the moments when I was little and, and, Padme walked into scene and I was like, who's that girl? That this feeling I wanted again for the first time. You know? And so it's it's great.
0: It's amazing. Yeah, I'm always envious of people who see who watch the films in story order for the first time and who see Rogue One before they see a new hope. Because yeah. Vader is so scary. Yeah. <laughs> Like I feel like I feel like people who saw the original trilogy first, you know, I mean, obviously Darth Vader is an excellent villain, and he yeah. is very, you know, he is pretty scary in those movies. But then chronologically, they got the prequels, which a lot of people feel like sort of defanged Vader yeah. by showing Anakin and showing that side of him, and also the fact that you know there were a lot of things about the way the choices that they made in his transformation into Vader that also kind of made him seem a bit ridiculous or absurd you know? <laughs> yeah but so it's kind of like eh you know but then yeah but then you know if you watch Rogue One and you see this like completely relentless lethal warrior who is like not gonna stop he's gonna cut through every single thing you put in front of him he is more powerful like he is more powerful than 10 12 14 people with blasters yeah. I just- Yes. You know, like he's not—he's just like completely unstoppable. He has yes. complete command of the force, you know. And yeah, it's just like oh, that portrayal of Vader. Just like it's—it's oh, it's so scary to me because he's just—he's—it's like a zombie horde, basically a zombie horde made yes. up. <laughs> yeah, Maybe that. Yes. And, yeah.
1: And and this puts Leia also up. You know, because you'll see that she resisted to him, to that guy.
0: Yeah. You know, she stood up against him so, like, with such conviction. And she, like, lied to his face and was just totally unshakable. Like, her courage is just so admirable. And yeah, I just that portrayal, like that character is gonna live in my heart forever. I mean that's one of the reasons I became a Star Wars fan, was because a lot of people have heard the story already, but I'm gonna tell it again. (laughs) Like my the thing is like, I mean I liked Star Wars the first time I saw it, like I enjoyed I I the first Star Wars movie I ever saw was Return of the Jedi, which was I think a good choice for a small child because it's very action packed a lot of stuff happens, you know, comparatively, a new hope, the first like 1520 minutes are a bit more boring. Yeah, I might might not have gotten into it. But yeah, so you know, and but as soon as my mom saw that I took an interest in it, she encouraged me a lot and like bought me toys and made me a Halloween costume. And, you know, all of those things, because she really, she was a feminist, and she really wanted me to have strong role models, like, Princess Leia. Yeah. You know, the princess who rescues herself. The princess who has perfect aim and is an excellent shot. The princess who withstands torture. Yeah. You know, the princess who, you know, two strange men show up to rescue her and she sasses them in their faces and yeah. tells, them tells them that they're too short and that they need <laughs> to get in the garbage chute, fly boy. Like, <laughs> oh, my
1: <God. laughs> <laughs> I've been fucking Portuguese because there's so much feelings.
0: <laughs> I
1: know, right?
0: See, this is what Star Wars does, right? It like brings out these feelings for us and yeah, I mean that's why we're here, right? Yeah. You know, and also but again, the more problematic stuff, like it's important that we talk about it. And like I've said in past shows, you know, we've talked about it before and we're gonna talk about it again and we're gonna keep talking about it until the oppression is broken. Cause that's when you can stop talking about
1: it and hopefully not because uh, to quote um, uh, Walter Benjamin uh, a people that forgets its history is condemned to repeat it
0: yes that
1: is so no we can't stop talking about the the oppressions of the past because otherwise people will think that a it wasn't that bad or B, they will have that same idea again, and they won't know that it ends terribly. <laughs> like, so that's why that's it's important, important for
0: us, right? So, sorry, Fandom Menace, but we're never shutting up. So, never shutting up. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's our new slogan. Never. Look <laughs> <laughs> after dark. We'll never shut up. <laughs>
1: So we need to keep bringing this. Like, uh, I I had a I forgot to talk about my love for Rogue One when I was talking about uh Star Wars. Talk about already. it now. We have time.
0: Go for it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Give it the,
1: content. the thing that I I really like in Rogue One, I really love it strongly. It's because the uh, to me I have this. Uh, It's completely headcanon why I love Rogue One so much, and it's totally not in text, but um, to me it's what resembles the most the stories I grew up with in my family, of um, throwing yourself in suicidal missions against a huge imperialistic force, that that you know you probably won't survive and you know probably most people will die in the way but it's worth it even so because i will probably cry <laughs> because it needs to be done someone needs to do it so um i also wrote a very short and experimental fun about it uh in which uh Jean and Cassian are um Argentinian freedom fighters. Yes, I remember
0: that <laughs> thing it was so good.
1: Yeah, and it's it's about that, you know, about um th- this is what I think it's so important because um in the fairy tales sometimes it seems like the good the, the good guys always win in the end and sometimes it seems like uh there's no obstacle too big if you if you want enough, if you are and sometimes it's not true. Sometimes people have to die in sacrifice and 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 be willing to lose everything because there are things greater than our existence.
0: Yeah.
1: And this is very Powerful this is very strong uh, and this is the the true essence of rebellion and and this is what I think that most fans that are obsessed with the with bloodlines and the skywalker lineage and uh, the force users and this stuff uh, it's I can't really connect. To the way they love Star Wars, because to me it was never about that. It was about I, I grew up in a family that was heavily affected by um, the Brazilian dictatorship. I have uh, relatives that were undergone torture and were arrested and died in exile and and disappeared forever. And. Um, Had me seen the Senate voting for the end of democracy and applauding it. It resonated with the stories I grew up with my grandparents and my mother and my uncles and aunts telling me about. Because um, when the tanks uh, occupied the streets, people applauded as well and there were people who weren't applauding, of course, but there were people applauding, and this is, um, and George Lucas did Star Wars as an homage to people resisting U.S. imperialism and, and inspired by Mexican resistance and the Vietnamese resistance, so erasing this and trying to make it a uh, an ode to white supremacy and to the united states and supremacy is is a to me is completely bizarre so um, <laughs> to me they aren't the real fans because to me they are engaging with with the sequ- the sweet, the sequins, the the smoke, the glitter—not the essence, not the heart of it. Like, and and that's what to me Star Wars is about. Is about being a nobody from uh, a planet no one heard about, and growing up poor and growing up oppressed. And becoming the face that leads rebellion to me—that's what Ray is about. It's not about like descending from some evil wizard and and becoming like stealing, which was very Ray of her to do so, stealing something, <laughs> and stealing yeah. the Skywalker name. To yeah. I me, mean, this is not what Star Wars is about. <laughs> <laughs> so, um. This is
0: why I love Rogue One. (laughs) It's a wonderful, it's a wonderful and a really important installment in the Star Wars story. And I think for reasons that you've just explained very eloquently. And like, this is why we have guests like you on the show. (laughs) People know it's true. Like people need to hear this stuff. It's important, you know? And I, and I hope that everyone who watches this or who listens to the podcast is going to think carefully about it and take it to heart and, you know, and find a meaningful way of, of integrating perspectives, you know, your perspectives and the perspectives of other people who are like you, because like, these are voices that we don't get to hear very often, but you know, as we established, it's important it's important to hear everybody, you know, and the, the less we hear from a certain group, the more important it is that we seek out their voices, you know? So I wanted to thank you for taking the time to do this with us. And it was my pleasure. If people want to connect with you on social media, is there a way they can do that?
1: Um, I'm, there's my Twitter. Um, there's a way of showing it on screen. Uh, you guys can do it or should I spell it? Yeah, because yeah, tell
0: yeah, yes, yeah. go ahead okay. and spell it your Twitter if you want to share it. Okay, it's nerd
1: uh underline leo which like leo but with an a n in the end. <laughs> Great. Well, we'll put that in the sh-
0: we'll put that in the show notes for you. <laughs> okay. And, and maybe you'll have some new fans and make some new friends.
1: Hopefully, like, if you're interested in queer theory and feminism and um, Latin American resistance to imperialism and a lot of nerdiness, That's my fitter. That sounds perfect to
0: me. I mean, like, that's like everything that I need in my life. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. And uh, yeah, we hope to see you around in the steam room and uh, maybe we'll see you on Pink Monk again.
1: Okay. Thank you you so much. Thank (laughs) you. Uh